Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. Our lessons this week work together really well. Hopefully, if any of you had a chance to preview the lessons, then you noticed a number of connections there. But the lessons work together really to bring us a most blessed and certain hope that we have of salvation in Jesus Christ. The lesson from Isaiah begins, Comfort, comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Her warfare is ended. Her iniquity is pardoned. Now, you'll recall the context of Isaiah's prophecies. Um, He prophesied the destruction of the northern kingdom by the Assyrians. He prophesied the resistance of Jerusalem to the siege of those same Assyrians. He prophesied the eventual destruction of the temple of Jerusalem entirely and the temple, including deportations in two waves of Jews that were taken from Jerusalem and taken to Babylon. Of course, he he also prophesied the restoration of them. He spoke comfort to the Jews. While they were in exile, he spoke comfort to them. And he prophesied the Messiah. This is why we read so much of Isaiah throughout the season of Advent, because Isaiah prophesied so clearly and so vividly the Messiah who would come. But he also pointed forward to a forerunner of the Messiah, and that is John the Baptizer. A voice cries in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Now, Isaiah prophesied from 740 to 681 B.C., about 60 years. He had a long period of preaching to the Jews, and he was in the inner court. So he had a long period of preaching to their kings, and he was the prophet under numerous kings. But did they listen to him? (laughs) No. Many times they did not. Sometimes they did, but mostly, no, they did not listen to him. Like all of the prophets, they failed to listen to him. But our lesson from Peter, he says, do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord, Lord, one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. By the way, this this passage from Peter oftentimes is misconstrued misconstrued to mean that, see, God doesn't know how to reckon time. So if God says a day, he doesn't mean a day, because a day could be a thousand years. No, that's not what Peter is saying. Peter uh, talked about the flood as a literal event. Even though it seems unfathomable to us, the world was deluged with water as it bursts forth from the deep and so forth. So Peter is not saying that God doesn't know how to reckon time or that we should disbelieve things that we read in the Old Testament, which somehow, sometimes this is misconstrued to say that. But no, Peter is saying that God is so patient. He is patient. He can wait a long time. And that's important to think about because as we look at Isaiah preaching for 59 years, 
to, with mixed results. Hezekiah was one of those kings who eventually listened to Isaiah, and that was good, but many others did not. He preached year after year to stiff-necked, recalcitrant people, and they did not always hear his message with faith and obedience. They didn't hear, and it wasn't just Isaiah that they weren't hearing. They weren't hearing God. Isaiah was a prophet of God. He was giving them God's word, and they wouldn't always hear it with faith and obedience. Now, if Isaiah is patient, having done that for almost six decades, God is so much more patient, waiting year after year, building up the church as more come to believe. And year after year, we look around and see that things do go from bad to worse, or at least that's how it feels. You know? Sometimes, I guess, it could be cyclical, right? If we're always looking back at the good old days when everything was hun- you know, hunky-dory or whatever, well, then we start to realize, no, there never really was any good old days. I mean, you know, things are cyclical. But um, as long as there's been sin in the, in the earth, there has been problems in society. But we see that. We see these problems, and uh, it gets discouraging sometimes. Um, you know, as we look, even when we see, even in the best of times, the world is still groaning from the effects of sin. I mean, if you look back and you pick, like, the glory days, whatever that might be, the 1950s or, you know, the 1700s, you know, or or whatever. I mean, you pick your favorite era. I see people saying, no, not that time. But pick your favorite era, and you will find that there were problems, that sin was an impact at at that time, just as it is now. And even if you did find a time period or a particular location that was just so idyllic. Everything was just perfect. But guess what? There was still sin and death. There was still sin and death. Since the fall, there has been sin and death. I uh, mused the other day thinking about this concept that perhaps my great-great-grandfather said to himself, God, why do you continue like this? Why don't you end it now? Jesus, come, come quickly. You know, bring about, bring in the new heavens and the new earth. And I want to say to my great great grandfather, who I amused, said this. I want to say, whoa, hang on, not so fast. I'm not even going to exist if that happens. So wait at least a little while, Jesus. You know, before you return in judgment, before you usher in the new heavens and the earth. So what is happening right now is that God is continuing to build up his church. When people, I know you've heard me say this before. When people say the church is shrinking, they're wrong, demonstrably. No, the church is never, ever shrinking. The church is always growing. As you have babies and bring them to the water of holy baptism, the church grows. As you preach the good news, yes, you can preach the good news. You can declare, proclaim the good news to your neighbors or to your barber or to the uh, clerk at the store, whoever it might be, as you share the good news with them. And God, not you and your eloquence, but God through his word works faith in them. Guess what? The church grows. The church is upbuilt. That's the reason why God has given us the good news. Now we come back around to our gospel lesson. Because that is 
how Mark, which you really just, I just love Mark's gospel. I love how direct he is. He just gets right to the point, right here in the first line. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. We're used to hearing that, but think about that. The very first verse in his gospel, he says, this is the good news of Jesus Christ, who is the very Son of God. He declares right there at the onset, the Son of God. He goes on, as it is written in Isaiah the prophet. Now, if you want to get into the details, you'll look and find that he's not actually quoting directly from Isaiah. He's sort of mixing together Malachi 3.1 and Isaiah 40. But he gives credit to Isaiah. It's a customary thing to do. Isaiah is the major emphasis in that, in that quotation that he, he has there. I just don't want you to get hung up on that if, if you were to dig into that. So Isaiah did write of a messenger, as we heard from Isaiah 40, John the baptizer, who came preaching and baptizing in the wilderness. And although the gospel lesson is brief, it paints a vivid image of Israel and the ultimate fulfillment of the covenant in Jesus Christ. The true Israel, the perfect Israel, the Israel where, where the uh, first Israel failed, this second Israel will not. And, and I say that because of these connections that you can see. John the baptizer comes in a camel hair coat and a leather belt. That is just like Elijah, who in 2 Kings 1.8 is said to have to be hairy and to wear a leather belt about his waist. That's the connection. You'll remember that Jesus said, if you can accept it, he is Elijah. Okay, that John the Baptist is Elijah. So that is the picture that's being painted. I don't mean to say that Mark, uh, um, who by the way, Mark was... Uh, this is John Mark, uh, who was uh, a partner to Paul in his missionary journeys. Um, John Mark, according to church tradition, was uh, taking this information from Peter, the apostle. So sometimes this is you know, considered Peter's gospel because Mark was giving. Uh, the church father, Papias, talked about that, that this was Peter giving Mark the, this information. But, um, but I don't mean to say that Peter or Mark is using some literary uh, analogy or something or, or doing something. No, I mean, they're just, he's just sharing what it was. John was wearing a camel hair jacket and a leather belt. But what I'm saying is that is an image of Elijah. Right off the bat, that's an image of Elijah. He preaches the good news in the wilderness, just as the Israelites came through the desert wilderness. And where is he baptizing? in the Jordan River. Remember, it was uh, Joshua who led the Israelites across the Jordan River into the Promised Land. And in just the same way, we have this image of John baptizing and bringing Israel into the Promised Land, which is the salvation that comes through repentance and faith. The, The wilderness, if you will, the wilderness is the place where Israel was born. And, and the Jordan is the river they crossed to come into the promised land. And all of this, it's so neat to think that all of this was prophesied 700 years before John began the work, this work. 
Isaiah uh, lived 700 years and died 700 years before all of this happened and prophesied this. But again, God is patient. 700 years is a long time. I don't even remember 700 years ago. It's so long ago. We also hear from Mark. As all the country of Judea and Jerusalem were going out to him, all the country, they're all coming out to John. John was pointing not just to repentance and the forgiveness of sins, but he was also pointing to the one who is stronger than him. The one who he says will baptize with the Holy Spirit. I have baptized with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Now again, I have to give a word of caution not to misinterpret this. This is not reference to some ecstatic baptism of the Holy Spirit where people you know, jump up in the pew and start speaking in tongues or something like that. That's, this, there's no charismatic element to this. But it's as Peter said on the day of Pentecost when the Jews who heard his preaching about the Christ said, they repented and said, what shall we do to be saved? And what did he say? Repent and be baptized. He didn't stop there. He said, be baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. Oh, you mean my sins are forgiven in baptism? Yes, that's exactly it. And he didn't stop there. For the forgiveness of your sins and receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Oh, I received the gift of the Holy Spirit in baptism and the forgiveness of sins? Yes, that's exactly what he was saying. That's the baptism of the Holy Spirit that John is pointing to. And he's saying that Jesus will baptize you with that. And by the way, as I always say, for any time I baptize someone, which hasn't been too often, sadly, but hopefully more in the future, as I always say, it's not the pastor who does the baptism. It's Jesus, it's God who is baptizing. The pastor is an instrument doing the work of God in that. Lest there be any confusion about that. Jesus also said, make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. So Jesus gave baptism to the church to do. So what do we do with all of this? We have John the Baptist, the forerunner of Christ, preaching that Christ is coming, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, telling you that the one who's coming after him, which is Jesus, is stronger than him, and he will baptize with the Holy Spirit. What do we do with all that? We rejoice. That's what we do. We rejoice because you've been baptized. Everyone in here today has been baptized. You've been baptized. In your baptism, you have received an inheritance, an inheritance that is beyond anything else that you could ever receive. It's so much more glorious. Million dollars, billion dollars, trillion dollars, that will all go away. It will. It's going to be gone. You could build a bigger storehouse to put it all. Remember that one? I'll build a bigger storehouse to put all of my money into Uh, Well, you fool, tonight your life is required of you. That's all going away. But the baptism and the promise that God made to you in your baptism, that's not going away. 
because it's the very promise of God. It's that word of God that will stand forever. As Isaiah said, as Peter said, as God himself has declared, he cannot lie. So what he promises, he is faithful and true to see through. So what do we do? We rejoice. We are baptized. You are baptized and forgiven of all your sins. So on the second Sunday in Advent, rejoice. Let Christ's word richly dwell in you. Remember that his word stands forever. All of these things that are fleeting, but not his word. His word stands forever. Remember that his promise of forgiveness stands forever. And thanks be to God for all of those truths. The peace of God which passes all understanding, keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus.